0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. Today FM. John Gibbons is with us for The Last Word on the environment. John, I teased earlier that the OECD report made a number of recommendations on how to reduce the amount of traffic on the roads to help our climate change targets. And you've got some recommendations of your own, one of which I would imagine there's a few people who are driving right now might not appreciate.
1: Uh, good evening ian yeah i'm picking up really on, on some work done by dublin city council uh, in 2020 they they submitted what they called the traffic wish list uh, traffic wish list to um to minister eamon ryan and basically one of their suggestions uh, one of their suggestions was to actually have taxis removed from the from from the bus lanes because essentially you have a situation where buses with 80 potentially 80 people on board are being held up and and the efficiency of, of bus transit being interfered with by the fact that you've got vehicles which may have one person in them or in fact they may have no passengers in them at all because taxis are not at the moment constrained even to using the the, the bus lanes when they're carrying a passenger. So essentially it's a sort of an an uncomfortable mix if you like Ian of of public and private transport because... But they are public transport and taxis. Technically they are but many other countries they basically don't allow taxis into bus lanes. Now of course it isn't just the buses that the taxis are competing with because bus lanes strangely enough are also supposed to fit Bicycles. In many cases, we have buses and bikes and taxis all sharing the same lanes. And and even on the way in here uh, today, I noticed taxis sort of slaloming in and out of the main lanes, uh, cut forward a little bit to gather some speed in the taxi or in in the bus lane, then back out again. So. I think the best use of a bus lane, and maybe the hint is in the name, is if we actually restrict it to buses. Now, solving the problem for for, uh, cyclists, that's another issue. But definitely, uh, I don't believe that the the interests of a small number of passengers uh, can outweigh, especially, Ian, at peak times. I think one of the recommendations of Dublin City Council is to look at, for example, if you can't fully remove taxis from bus lanes, at least uh, during peak hours, say that may be 7.30 to 10 o'clock, it might be 4.30 to 7pm. So during those peak commuting hours, the rights of 70 or 80 people in a bus to get to where they need to go quickly has to overcome and be be of greater priority than the comfort of one individual uh, as a passenger in a taxi. 087
0: 4100 102 is the number for your WhatsApp if you agree or disagree with John. Now, John, I do want to discuss something that's actually important with us because, again, earlier in the show we were discussing that air grid report on potential supply issues over the next next decade, out to, all the way out to 2031. You've been looking at potential solutions to our energy crisis, and you've been looking at district
1: heating schemes. That's right, Ian. This one is right under our nose. And again, back to Dublin City Council, uh, what they found, if, if you take the Poolbeg incinerator, which has been burning now since about 2017. Now, the Poolbeg incinerator has the capacity to provide hot water to heat up to 80,000 Homes in the Dublin city area. Obviously, how? how? Well, basically, the district heating system—the the byproduct of any incinerator or any any power station, if you like—is huge amounts of hot water, because that's the, they use water for cooling in the power station. So, water is pumped into the bag power station at the moment. Ian, that water is then discharged into the Liffey, and of course, hot water going directly into a river is in fact a form of pollution. Now, if you take the same hot water and you pipe it using insulated pipes, for example, Ringsend, the public housing, a lot of social housing in Ringsend, all of that could be easily upgraded. Well, relatively easily upgraded. So essentially, what you get is that power station like Ringsend becomes the equivalent, Ian, of a giant boiler. That it provides all the central water heating that then runs the, the, the heating system. So, so
0: the steam goes straight up into the atmosphere, though.
1: Well, at the moment, you have a certain amount of steam vented off, but the hot water, which the water which is used for cooling of our power stations at the moment. And I would add, by the way, this is also a case for data centres. Data centres are also very, very suitable for conversion to district heating. And I'll give you an example. Uh, There's an Amazon data centre in Talla. This is about to be connected to the headquarters of the South Dublin County Council. And they're also looking at linking this same data centre to the Talla Technical University with the possibility of piping some of this water into Talla Hospital. So the point really is that heat is a byproduct of energy production. In a data centre, heat is your enemy. So you've got to get rid of it. Now, that heat is also a valuable, valuable product, especially as we go into a a winter of energy constraint. So obviously the the things we want to be doing, like retrofitting, they're all very well. But let's take Georgian Dublin, Ian. Very difficult to retrofit Georgian buildings. I know. I've seen a lot of them and worked in them. Yeah, extremely difficult, right? However... If you replace the heating system, which is already the existing plumbing, and basically you switch off the boilers and you plug it into district heating, you now have a solution that essentially means you're turning a waste heat product into a form of relatively low, or in this case, zero carbon energy, because the, if you like, the carbon has already been expended. But the idea of simply dumping... Uh, this heat energy is crazy. For example, in Europe, in Denmark, for example, all incinerators have to be specified to be located in urban areas and they have to be capable of being connected directly to a district heating system. So it's really this, of all the low-hanging fruits we have in our energy system, turning waste into energy has got to be top of the list.
0: But can you retrofit the existing, whether it's an incinerator or whatever it is, can they be retrofitted to do this?
1: Yeah, and in the case of the Ring's End incinerator, for example, the basic pipework is there. The issue seems to be getting all joining all the dots together, getting it connected. I know the Dublin City Council are out there looking at getting... uh, basically you've got to get consultancies involved to join all this. But we do know, for example, that all of the modern buildings that have been constructed in the Docklands area have all been part of their design brief for the last 10 years plus has been that they have to be district heating capable. Now that literally means, Ian, that if you've got district heating available, the hot water, you can plug them directly into an apartment block down in the docks and everybody in that apartment block can get effectively uh, spare energy for free heating.
0: But given some of these facilities, like you mentioned, data centres, a lot of the energy and water they consume will be for their own use. Do they throw off much additional whatever, hot water or steam or whatever it is?
1: Yes, absolutely. And as I say, the, what's important to understand here is that this is a waste product for these companies, right? So in a data centre, typically, uh, what the, the water is heated to about 25 degrees centigrade. What they use then are they use uh, refrigerator, reverse refrigerator units to compress that up, up to about 80 degrees centigrade and then pump that heat out. So that is, again, a waste product. If you're in a data centre, your big issue isn't heat. Your issue is getting rid of heat. So this is no burden, No, quite the opposite, in fact. You're helping to solve a problem because data centres spend a lot of money on cooling systems. So essentially, that heat at the moment, rather than dumping it, uh, where it becomes a problem, either by heating water inappropriately. So, uh, for example, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we're currently heating the, the Liffey, Uh, from from the incinerator which is exactly the wrong thing to do with spare energy because that hot water going into a river is in fact a form of pollution.
0: The cost of of getting the
1: heat from the facility into people's homes like who would bear that? Well that would again most likely be done as an infrastructural project with Dublin City Council but as I said a lot of the the basic infrastructure work has already been done a lot of the, the grid work has been done it does exist there is still some millions required to join and connect all of these things. But the what's important to say here is this rather than being an expensive project this should in fact be a revenue raiser it means that the the incinerator folks are selling a product rather than dumping a waste
0: Yeah because I've sat here I think it was the climate action plan launched by Eamon Ryan last year and a big thing with that was heat pumps going to people's homes this would seem to be something that could be helping if people can afford that here's another solution
1: No absolutely And, and it is important to say that some homes as we said like Georgian buildings are really really difficult to upgrade to retrofit you know if you've got single glazed George and sash windows, very, very difficult to get those up to an A or a B rating. Probably impossible. And what we have here is, is a different type of solution. And it has been uh, calculated, in that up to 75% of all the buildings in the Dublin area could, in theory, be heated by district heating systems. So this is not some minor oddball thing. And I do know that Minister Ryan has been super keen about this, but I think he's been running into one or two brick walls. But it is a fabulous solution out there.
0: Yep, potentially something that will be very important over the next couple of years. Just briefly, it is a significant anniversary for a very important book.
1: That's right. Uh, this week is the 60th anniversary of the publication of a book called Silent Spring. This is by a science writer, a famous science writer called Rachel Carson. This was published in uh, late September, early October 1962 and essentially it's considered to be the book that was the foundation document for the modern environmental movement. What Carson discovered essentially was that pesticides, most notably DDT, widely used in America, it was literally sprayed absolutely everywhere. They were spraying footpaths with it, uh, schoolrooms, playgrounds, everywhere was being sprayed with DDT, this wonder product. And what Carson's research discovered is that, in fact, uh, the Silent Spring in the title of the book, essentially it was wiping out uh, the birds, it was poisoning the insects and so on and it was the start if you like of an ecological uh, holocaust and what she described she said pesticides would be better, better described as biocides because they indiscriminately kill and even for example if you have what's called say a herbicide something like glyphosate you might say well that, that only affects uh, plants now of course the fact is it also by removing the food sources for insects. You're essentially, you're, you're sweeping devastation uh, through, through the ecosystem. And in the 60 years, Ian, since then, I suppose this is the thing. Uh, for example, DDT was banned in 1972. Uh, but since then, uh, we have more and more toxic chemicals floating around in the system.
0: OK, John Gibbons, thank you very much for coming in this evening. More from you next Thursday at this time. The Last Word with Matt Cooper.
1: Weekdays from 4.30. Today.